I went to church my whole life. I don't remember one sermon uh, because I know I was uh, just uh, submitted to all kinds of distractions and other things. So when I pray for you to be here, I pray that you are here and that God speaks to us. We're going to talk about peace and faith today. And uh, uh, I had a typical week. I don't know how yours went. Was yours pretty normal? Nothing dramatic. Uh, but I'm, I'm marked by this. Every, every week that I go through in life, I can probably go back to a few instances where things kind of went, Ugh, just a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Like, isn't it great that we live in a world that is uh, created by a God who has graced us with his presence, and many of us, uh, by faith in Jesus, now live in life with this God who has made us, and for the most part, he gives us what I'll call the fine. We live in the fine. Like, when someone asks you how you're doing, how do you answer that question? Fine. I'm fine. Like, it could be better. You know, if I had a French silk right now, I'd be better. I'd, I'd, French silk pie is really good. Does everybody agree with me on that? And it's getting towards lunch. That would be better. But I'm fine. Things could be a lot worse, right? I'm fine. But every once in a while in life, uh, our fine is interrupted. Uh, we go from peaceful to panicked in a flash, like I did uh, yesterday in Medard Park. I was looking for Scott and the fellas. We were having a uh, a great men's barbecue. What, what, what's better than a bunch of dudes and some pulled pork? There's just not a whole lot that's better than that. Uh, and so we all got together and had a great time, but I couldn't find them. I was driving. If you've ever been to Medard Park, there's all these, you know, pavilions and places you can meet. And I went to all of them until finally I got on the phone and I called Scott and I said, where are you guys? And he, he was in this place. It was beautiful down by the river. I'd never been to this one. But he says, yeah, you wouldn't have seen us if you, you know, didn't know we were here. And so he gave me directions. I hung up the phone, and I kid you not, I'm, I'm no sooner hanging up the phone and laying it down in the seat next to me that I'm, and it's 15 miles an hour, and I was doing the speed limit. I checked. It's 15 miles an hour in, in Medard Park, and I'm just kind of going down this, you know, driveway from one of these off-roads that goes to the pavilions, and uh, there's one vehicle. It's a Honda Odyssey, and a family has just gotten into it, and he's starting to back out. Now, this happens daily, all the time. People back out. They don't see it, and what's, what's, what's the rule? If they are backing out, and you're in the road. They stop, right? Unless you stop and wave them in. I didn't do that because it's 15 miles an hour. They were just starting. I figured they'd see me. Anyway, they didn't. Here's why. We've got all these cameras now on these cars and no one's actually looking to their left or their right anymore. They're just looking to see what's right behind them. And this guy is just staring at his dashboard as he's backing out and he can't see me yet. So um, it's 15 miles an hour. I'm going to have an accident, a car accident at 15 miles an hour. And so I'm like, he's got to be able to see me, and I'm, and I'm just starting to kind of s- slowly veer, right? I'm, I'm, I'm starting to go off the road because they're narrow roads, and, and, and he's, still, he's still coming. And so finally, the horn, right? And then what happens? You know, and all of his kids are bouncing in the back and stuff like that. And I go around him, barely missing the back of his car, and I look at him with my, well, I hope you're okay, pal. But what does he give me? Not, not the other one. This one. He gives me the hands. Somebody have ever gotten the hands and you didn't deserve the hands? I was like, seriously? I was on the road. He gave me the hands, so I prayed for him. No, I didn't. I did not pray for him. <clears throat> I confess. That was a lie. I did not pray for him. But is it, have you ever had one of those close calls and your heart's kind of raised now and you're like kind of, I mean, I was ready. I was like, let's go, man. You want to go? Let's go. I know I'm right. My fine was interrupted. We've been talking about 
an unseen war, a spiritual battle that's raging around us, even right now. And for the most part, we live within the war and, and are un, unknowing. We, we don't see it. We don't sense it. It doesn't rage. But sometimes there's flare-ups. It's obvious, more apparent. We lose our fine as our adversary ambushes us. We're all familiar with the ambush. We've either been a part of our military, thank you for your service if you have or are, uh, or, yeah, okay, you can do that, yeah, USA. Or uh, we've seen movies, which is where I reside, and we know that at any time in a, in a, in a conflict, in a, in a war scenario, uh, soldiers can be just doing their daily stuff and all of a sudden shots fired and now we're in it. And everything changes in the blink of an eye. It's the same in the spiritual realm, the spiritual war that we're all in. Our fine is hit without warning by the storms that come in life. I was uh, driving to work Thursday morning after my life group with the fellows at Cracker Barrel. Had a great uh, time with them around God's Word and Galatians and uh, and was looking forward to a basically tranquil uh, few hours before I, I take off for the weekend. I take off Thursday afternoon and Friday for my weekend and come back to work on Saturday. And so Fridays, or yeah, Thursday is my Friday for the rest of you who work five days a week that way. And, uh, and so I was just kind of like, oh, good, I'll just kind of coast into my, you know, get, take care of some of the long-range planning things I haven't been able to get to because other things have needed my time. And I was looking forward to that day. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever have that day at work? Those are nice days, right? And I was sitting there, I was just kind of reading my email, and then my phone rang, and I recognized the number, and I answered the phone, and all of a sudden, my tranquil day was not going to be a tranquil day anymore, because the news that I got in this phone call was devastating, heartbreaking, and it, uh, it, it took me from where I was sitting in my office to other uh, interactions and, and discussions that were filled with tears and prayers and, and pain, and, uh, and that wasn't on my schedule. But it was in those moments that this war that we're a part of were very apparent. And it's in these ambushes and these battles that our preparations become crucial, our training and our experience, whether it's driving in Medard Park, or serving in our military, or living as followers of Jesus Christ in this unseen war that rages around us, preparation is key. As you guys head off whatever is next in your life, I pray that you have prepared well for what comes ahead of you, not just scholastically and emotionally or mature now or mature or whatever that is. I don't know if I'm mature. But you're ready more than you've been, but there's gonna be stuff that happens in your next phase that you're gonna be like, wow, what do I do here? How does this work? And all the things that you've learned about your God are gonna come to the fore or need to come to the fore so that you can get through whatever comes next. It's the same for all of us. That's why Paul is so adamant here at the end of his letter to the Ephesians. He's talked to them about all these incredible truths, the theology portions of chapters one through three. He's talked to them about how those truths should make a difference in how we live. Here's how you apply what you know, and here's how you behave as members of the body of Christ. That's chapters four and five. But now he gets to chapter six, and he says, okay, but don't forget all that you know and all that you should do are going to be constantly come against by the adversary of God. He is Satan. He has others uh, amongst his uh, minions who will, who will 
try to thwart you in every possible way from believing what you're supposed to believe and from doing what you're supposed to do. That's why he says, as we've been reading, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, which is every day. Our fine can always be interrupted. So that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, having prepared as much as you can, having put on every piece of the armor, having done all that you can do, you'll stand firm. Stand therefore, common theme in these verses, lots of stands, stand, stand firm, stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth, we talked about that last week. Truth is what the holds the whole armor together. It's, it's the beginning, it's, if we don't have God's truth, we're not gonna bother with the rest of the armor. We've gotta know what's true, we gotta choose what's true, start with the truth. And then, having been given that in our faith in Jesus Christ, this all came in the package. We have the armor, it is on board, it is ours to put into play or not. But having the belt of truth, having God's truth, put it in play, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, stand firm in the righteousness that you've been given in Christ. Stand firm by choosing the right things in Christ. Choices matter. Choices shape our lives. And when we choose right, here's, here's what uh, it happens. We, we, you know, like it says in Galatians, if we uh, sow righteousness, we reap eternal life. If we sow um, unrighteousness, we reap corruption. Whatever you sow, that you will reap, right? But when we sow right things, we tried to figure this out last week. If we sow right things, we, we can't sow wrong things because we get the one choice, and if we make it right, then the wrong can't come in to play. This week we're going to talk about these. He goes on with the armor. He says, belt, truth, breastplate, righteousness. Now let's talk about your footwear. And as shoes for your feet, in Christ you've already put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And he goes on and he says, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We've covered belts and breastplates last week. Today we talk shoes and shields. We've talked truth and righteousness. Now we look to peace and faith and their roles in the defense of us in the spiritual battle that rages around us. How do we stand strong? How do we stand Jesus strong in this unseen war? Two things. First, we dig in with God's peace. When you read those words to you again from Verse, six, or verse 15, it says, and as shoes for your feet, uh, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I, I was reading that this week, and I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. I always thought peace was the opposite of war, or peace was what happens when the war's over. But here's Paul is saying, no, in the midst of the war, you need peace. Don't wait for peace. Bring it to the war. Bring it to the battle. In fact, uh, shoe your feet with peace. Now I love uh, to talk about peace as a preacher. It's one of my favorite things. It's one of my chief needs. Anybody here need peace from time to time, right? So I love talking about peace. And, and peace is mentioned throughout Scripture. Uh, here's, here's some good news for us uh, who have received the good news. We have, been men, uh, excuse me, we have been made ready for the unseen war with the peace that has come to us from God the Father through our face, faith, <laughs> through our face, through our faith in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. 
Peace has come to us from God the Father through our faith in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. See, we've long known for me in the Old Testament that peace was part of the package uh, that would come with the good news. The prophet Isaiah actually foretold of some beautiful feet that would be walking down the mountains uh, there in Israel and and bringing a, a, a message of peace. It says in Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. In the New Testament, that would be the Greek word euangelion, which we translate gospel, who publishes peace, who brings a gospel of happiness, and who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Paul picks up this this prophecy that Isaiah uh, reports here in in his book, and and he, he refines it, and he clarifies for us who this one with the beautiful feet is, the one who brings this gospel of peace. It's Jesus. Uh, the one who preached the gospel of peace even there through Paul uh, to the Ephesians and brought together as one the Jews and the Gentiles. He talks about it, and we talked about it a few months ago in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off. Anybody know who the ones who were far off were? Starts with G, sounds like Gentiles. Who got Gentiles out of that? Anybody get Gentiles? Yeah, it was the Gentiles. Back in those days, the Jews were the chosen ones of God, uh, the ones who had the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Gentiles didn't. Unless they converted, they were uh, outside of God's uh, chosen ones. But now in Christ, the walls that divided Jew and Gentile have been broken down. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus, Paul tells us in Galatians. Yeah, and so... um, here in Ephesians, Paul says, hey, listen, those of you who are far off, you Gentiles, uh, Jesus preached peace in his gospel to you, and, and he brought peace uh, in his gospel to those of you who are near, namely you Jews. He says, for through him, through Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the, to the Father God. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. We, we live somewhere different now because of Christ and us. And we are members together of the household of God. We are family, all of us, because of Christ and his peace. What an amazing grace his peace is to us. Now, Paul refers to the peace as shoes. Truth is the belt because it holds everything together. Righteousness protects our heart like a breastplate would protect a soldier's midsection. Peace, as Paul continues through the armor, is a reflection of the shoes that a soldier would wear, because uh, peace enables us to stand firm as we've been commanded to do here in this portion of scripture. It's no wonder that Paul was inspired to tie God's peace to our feet because his command for us to stand firm would never happen unless our feet were rooted in God's peace. In fact, to stand by definition, don't you need to be on your feet? Right? That's kind of necessary for the whole standing thing. Got to be on your feet. So no wonder then he says, shoe yourself with peace. Wear the boots of peace. Let peace, in other words, be the foundation on which you stand in the unseen war. Let's talk about the the shoes that uh, Paul is invariably referring to. I got a combat boot. Thank you, whoever donated this. It's very nice of you. But uh, 
they wouldn't have combat boots. They basically had, uh, in the Latin, it's called the caligae. Uh, the caligae was like a, an elaborate sandal. They would take these leather straps and they would, just like we have sandals, anybody wearing flip-flops right now? So they'd start with the flip-flop, but then they'd, they'd take elaborate straps, thick leather straps, and they'd wrap it around the, uh, the, the, the base of the flip-flop, around the foot, and then they'd take them. And if you've ever seen like pictures of you know, Romans and movies and stuff like that, their sandals go all the way up to their knees. It's like braces. And, uh, and they were there to make sure that the sandal wouldn't fly off their foot. Who's had that? You're running with sandals on? Come on, those things are coming off, right? Especially flip-flops. Not the Roman soldiers, though. The collegae would stay on. Now, the, that, that's kind of significant, but the most significant part about the Romans' shoes, the Roman soldier's shoes, uh, were the spikes that would come out of the bottom of them. They would take their sandals and they would take, you know, essentially eight penny nails, two-inch spikes, and they would nail them through the soles of their shoes so that when it came time to go to battle, not so much in the cobblestone streets of the cities, don't wear these in there, you're, you're gonna be flying around. But when, when they would take their, their battles out to the, to the fields and to, the, uh, to the, you know, the, the, the countrysides and they would meet other armies in war, they would line up. Uh, there would be higher ground that you would prefer to be fighting from. And so uh, as, as um, you know, soldiers and, and armies would approach, uh, they would use these spikes to actually help them grip the sod as they ran to get the best positions so that they could line themselves up for hand-to-hand combat. And then once the fight started, these came in handy. Why? Because how did they fight back then? Well, there'd be some arrows. We'll talk about those in a second. But for the most part, it was hand-to-hand. It was inch by inch, foot by foot. They would take over parts of the field, and they would uh, subdue the enemy by being able to stand firm in their collegae, in their boots, as the enemy came against them and hacked and poked and pushed, uh, the soldiers wanted to be able to stay put, hence the shoes. Peace provides us the same ability in the unseen war that we're a part of. It allows us to stand firm in accordance with the command of Paul. How does peace help us in this unseen war? A couple ways. We could go much deeper into this, but I'll just give you a couple. The first one's this. Peace with God that has been given to us in Christ should give us an incredible confidence, which is so crucial in any victory won in the unseen war. We know that we have peace with God because Paul tells us, as he writes to the Romans, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we've mentioned before in some of the other verses we read this morning, our faith in Jesus has brought us into the family of God. We are no longer his enemies, and everybody gets that's where you were before. You were a Christian. You weren't just some nice dude who was hanging out, and I'm sure you were a nice dude or dudette hanging out. But but spiritually speaking, there's no like kind of nice people, almost Christian types. Okay, You're either in Christ or you aren't. You are either on his side or against him. You are either his ally, his son, or his daughter, or you are his enemy and far from him and dead in your trespasses and sins. But because of Christ and our faith in Christ, we are no longer enemies, we are allies. We are no longer outside of his family, we are in his family, we are his children, and he is our father. And dads testify, if anybody messes with our kids, Katie bar the doors. Everybody with me on this? Now, sometimes we've got to let them, you know, sort some stuff out on their own, but if anybody legit goes after our kids, there's just this thing, moms too, but dads, there's just this thing that says, no, you don't mess with that one. That one's mine. 
And how much more then is our heavenly Father, our protector? Now, his giving us himself, us having peace with him, him being on our side has assured us the victory in any circumstance that we face. In any flare-up in the spiritual war, we have already in Christ and by God the Father and his strength achieved the victory. That should make you excited. That's, that's good news. Because he's fighting for me, in other words, I can say this with confidence. No matter how bad things get, I'm good. I used to sing this song in church that I uh, intended growing up, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Anybody remember that hymn? Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. It's a song about our risen Savior, Jesus, but it goes to the entirety of God and his presence in our lives. Because he is alive in us, I can face tomorrow. I can stand firm in whatever I find myself in. Because he's my strength. Paul says that as he opens his teaching here in the uh, letter to the Ephesians about uh, spiritual warfare. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not in yours. This isn't a battle of flesh and blood. This isn't us against Satan. It's God against Satan. And us standing in the strength of our God and the strength of our Lord and his might. When we do that, we should be as confident as we could possibly be uh, that his peace with us, this peace that has been brought to us in Christ with God has given us all that we need for the battle that we face. I fix things in my house not very well. I'm not handy. Um, I'm willing to try because I'm cheap, but uh, I'm usually frustrated. Has anybody heard me tell the stories? Yeah. Uh, so um, on the days where God has blessed me uh, with the opportunity to work with other people more capable than myself, I've told you about my buddy Osha. He's really handy. Uh, my countenance changes when he's in the room and I'm trying to fix something. Has anybody got this friend? You're trying to fix something in your car and you don't know what the dimiflitchy is compared to the doohickey, right? But the guy who does know comes and under the hood you go and you're like, yeah, we're going to be all right. When OSHA is next to me and I'm fixing things, I don't make near them the amount of mistakes and I have this overwhelming sense that, you know what, this probably is gonna work. Whereas when I'm by myself, not quite. It's the same thing when I pause to think about the peace that has been brokered for me with my God through my faith in Christ. When God is with me, who, as his word says, can be against me? One of my favorite statements, the one I use it's not a punt. It's not meant to be dismissive of the circumstances that people find themselves in. In fact, I used it Thursday as I talked in this situation that I referred to earlier. One of my favorite statements as a pastor, as a fellow believer, is this one. God has got us. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what the rest of this day looks like or what tomorrow's going to hold. Um, I have some insight, maybe some advice, having gone through some of these kinds of things before. But ultimately, no matter where this goes, what I know about where it's going is that it's in the hands of a capable and all-powerful and loving God. I can say that with confident peace. And I encourage you to do the same in whatever you're facing in the unseen war. Now, it's not just that we have peace with God, and then this peace that we've been given with God is our confidence in the unseen war. We, we've actually been given the peace of Christ himself, and this peace that Christ gives us 
keeps us from being overwhelmed. And this is so important because I would submit to you that the greatest um, crippler of, a, of an armed force is, is not all that lies ahead of them, it's what's going on inside their hearts and in their heads. If, if, a, if, a, if an army is defeated in their minds by fear, then they're defeated in the actual battle. We've seen this all the time, like when we watch the movies. Uh, uh, we watch as, you know, people kind of take, take a, a, you know, a, a, an inventory of the scene. We're outnumbered. I'm out of bullets. Uh, it's time to run. And those things may be true or may not be true. They may not see that they're winning in another section of the battle. But when a soldier is gripped by fear, fear takes over and the battle is lost. That's why it's so important that we understand that we not only have peace with God, we have the peace of God. It's a part of us because Christ himself has given it to us. He said this to his disciples on the night that he was about to be betrayed and taken into custody, the, the day before he was crucified. He said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. And he said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. This isn't, this isn't the world's version of peace. In fact, I would tell you that the world's version of peace really isn't peace at all. I'll call it relief. Like the world finds relief in certain things. Some of them are good and, you know, amoral and altruistic. Most of them aren't. We get addicted and we, you know, but, but we find our escapes. We find our oases, reliefs from the stresses and pressures of life. But it's only in Christ that we truly find peace. Because his peace surpasses the understanding of what's available in the world. It's just not something that we can put into words. So Paul didn't try it. It just surpasses understanding. And his peace is ours. It's given to us. He says, I give it to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. And then it's followed by a commandment. Has everybody picked up the imperative in this verse? He makes a statement, peace I leave with you. My peace I leave with you. It's not a peace like the world can give you. It's mine. Therefore, he could have said, let not your hearts be troubled. Quit being afraid. Neither let them be afraid. You know, for the the follower of Jesus in the spiritual world, there's, there's, a, there's a choice. You, you make it in every situation you find. You can, you can live in fear or you can live in peace. They are the opposites of each other. They cannot, uh, uh, you know, uh, be in the same space. It's either or. And Jesus says, take my peace. I got up on my roof the other night. Uh, uh, we got people coming over for lunch today, so I wanted them not to see the Spanish moss and leaves that had collected on my roof over the last six months. And so I went up there with my uh, cordless blower, and things were going really well. I got to be honest with you, Glenn. I was just I was killing it up there because most of my most of my roof is just a real slight pitch, like the old house, you know, before we started building things on. It's just a, you know, it's really gentle. It's almost flat. So I'm just kind of up there, all cocky, you know, and blowing the leaves off and. Kind of danced around. And then I got to the garage, which was added on to the front of the house, and it's a taller structure, so the pitch of the roof is much steeper. Okay? And so Einstein here, has <laughs> anybody got house shoes? Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say house shoes? Like they're your old tennis shoes that you don't really want to wear out in public anymore, but you'll wear them around your house. You'll kick around, do whatever work you're doing. I have a pair of house shoes. They're Pumas because I do have an endorsement deal with Puma. That's why I always wear them. But my old Pumas are just kind of laying there, and uh, my, uh, I used to have these, you know, uh, speaking of spiritual warfare, we had these two schnauzers a little while ago that were spawns of the devil themselves, and they ate everything in my house and bit my wives until we turned them back in. It's a whole other story. Anyway, uh, 
But uh, uh, they, they ate these pumas, and so I took the laces out of them, and the tongues had been chewed off of my shoes, okay? But they're my kick-around shoes, and I took those and put them on my feet when I went up on the roof. Okay, so is everybody picturing Mark? Oh, no socks, by the way, just my, my bare feet in these kick-around shoes. And I'm on this steep roof, and I ventured out halfway onto the pitched roof of my garage, and my feet are starting to slip inside my shoes as I lean down the pitch to blow the leaves off of my roof, like another smart thing there, just to add. And I'm starting to get worried. Now, I'm a grown man, and I'm not afraid of heights and all those other things, but when I feel like I'm gonna fall off my roof, I start thinking, I'm gonna fall off my roof. <laughs> and it's all that I can think and see in my life, and I'm, I'm alone at my house, and there's no one around if I do fall, and this is gonna be bad, right? And I, anybody been there? I just kind of froze. But I can't stay there. And so then I literally prayed. Okay, God, I'm starting to freak out here a little bit. Can you just get me off this roof? I promise I'll go put on some proper shoes. And so he reminded me in that moment, hey, Mark, lean. The roof's going this way. You lean that way. Kind of grab, uh, you know, the, the, the ridge of the roof a little bit. And just kind of inch your way up there real quick. Get on both sides of the ridge and back yourself away. I must look just ridiculous doing this. But get down the, yeah, get down the ladder, Mark, and let's put on some shoes you, you can actually be on your roof in. It, it, by the way, the roof looks great. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, but my point is this. When I'm afraid, all I can think about is my fear. When I'm afraid, I make bad choices. When I'm afraid, the battle's lost. But God, in Christ, has given me the peace of Christ so that my heart needs not be troubled and so that I need not be afraid. Uh, put another way, he, he gives me spiritual homeostasis. You know, our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know this? And if your body gets out of balance, if you lose equilibrium, not just like being on a pitched roof, but if you lose equilibrium in, let's say, your body temperature, you know what your body says? Hey, time to sweat. I was out working with Eleanor at the Echo Food Drive yesterday morning, and uh, as I got working, I got hotter and harder and uh, hotter, and I sweat so much that people were like, hey, how you doing? I'll just kind of walk around you like this. Has anybody been that sweaty? Yeah. Uh, but I'm thankful for that because that kept me from having to go to the hospital with heat stroke. Because as I liquid uh, or, or took, uh, took in liquids and sweat them out, my body stayed cool. Uh, peace has this homeostatic property to it. Spiritually speaking, it regulates us. It brings us away from fear and strife and doubt and discouragement and brings us back to the middle. Back to whole. That's what shalom in the Old Testament actually means, wholeness the state of being well. So may you and I lace up our peace boots for this unseen war. We have peace with God, may that give us confidence. We have the peace of God that can dispel our fears. May we, by his grace, choose those as we face the unseen war. The last thing I wanna share with you uh, is in verse 16, and it talks about the shield of faith. And so as uh, we continue with the armor, let's remember, stand behind the faithfulness of God. It says in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith here is uh, this command of Paul for us to invoke in our lives, not as some kind of superpower. Let's, Let's be clear, your faith and my faith is not strong in and of itself. Your faith and my faith are like keys that unlock the door of God's faithfulness in our life. As I believe in him, as I trust in him to defend me and to stand before me, uh, he has the power to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield referred to uh, here in this uh, uh, text is invariably the scutum, which is what the Latin word for shield was, uh, at least this particular kind of shield. Um, the uh, the shield that uh, you might think of is the shield that was used like more in hand-to-hand combat, like Captain, Mar- uh, Captain America's shield, right? The little one that's kind of a circle that, you know, was almost a weapon in and of itself. You would fight and then swing the shield, and, and uh, I don't think people threw it like Captain America did, but, uh, but the sh- that, was, that was a smaller shield. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, this is a police shield that I picked up in a recent riot that I was a part of, but uh, <clears throat> not really. Uh, but the, the, this is even too small for the, the scutum, which is the Latin word for shield here. Um, it's actually taken from a Greek, Greek word that means door. That's what this shield's name came from, door. Uh, it was at least four feet high and about two and a half feet wide, which is bigger than this. And it was the kind of uh, a shield that basically as you marched in the battle, as arrows were being launched by the artillery of the day, the, the archers, uh, you could hide underneath it and the arrows would stick into the shield. Uh, If you got up in close battle, you could actually scrunch down behind this thing. And as uh, the army coming ahead or in front of you was pressing forward, you could just lean against the shield uh, with those cool boots with the spikes in it. Um, They would make this shield out of wood. They couldn't possibly carry one that was all made out of metal, iron, uh, at the time. Uh, So they made it out of wood. They wrapped it in linen and leather, and then they took iron around the edges to kind of hold it in place. Now, early on in the uh, use of these shields, the uh, enemies of the Romans got smart. Hey, those are made out of wood. What if we dipped our arrows in fire? And if we dipped our arrows in fire and we shot them at these wooden shields, the wooden shields would catch on fire and cease to be shields. And then we could really take these guys to town. So the Romans got smart. And the Romans said, well, if they're going to do that, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap it in linen. We're going to wrap it in leather. And we're going to soak both with water so that when these fiery arrows came from our enemies, our shields would be like ancient fire extinguishers. And the water that was being held by those materials would actually just extinguish the arrow's fire before it ever became a problem. Now in verse 11 of chapter six, the Bible tells us a ton about the schemes of the devil. We gotta be prepared for the schemes and fiery darts here is just basically another word for those schemes. And so let's just review some of the fiery darts that our adversary uses against us or uses against us. Uh, his, one of his favorite is guilt. Hey, remember when you messed up? Remember that you're really good at this sin? Uh, he uses doubt, that's how he got Adam and Eve. Uh, he uses just straight up disobedience. Let's go, let's transgress, let's trespass, let's, let's do this. He uses lust, which has a sexual connotation, but it's not just in sexual things. Lust is the desire for more. Satan will convince you that you deserve more. That's especially an American sin. I deserve. Inalienable rights, where are mine? Life, liberty, and happiness, I don't have enough. 
We get uh, malice. That's one of his favorite arrows. Uh, if you've been harmed or uh, disrespected, go get your pound of flesh. You'll feel better. Don't listen to what it says in Romans about Jesus or God being our avenger. Vengeance is mine. Don't listen to that. Go get your own. We talked about this one already, but he, he loves to hit us with fear and paralyze us in the battle. But... Um, Here's what Paul says, in all circumstances, bring faith. Stand behind the faithfulness of God. Use your faith to invoke and involve the faithfulness of God on your behalf. Faith comes in all kinds of um, vehicles. One of the ways that faith can be brought to our battles is us standing behind the principles of God's word, just like Jesus did when he was tempted. Remember that? That's probably the most famous spiritual battle. Satan himself comes to the Son of God in Luke chapter 4, and after uh, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, no food, no drink, Satan comes to him and tempts him in three different ways. And three times Jesus uh, confronts or combats the temptations of his adversary with Scripture, with principles that he had read in the book that he wrote. (laughs) When Satan came to Jesus and said to him, hey, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter six and said, man shall not live by bread alone. When Satan uh, ran some film for Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and said, hey, listen, these have been given to me. I am in control of this this land. Your father has given me uh, dominion over all that is, and I'll give it to you if you'll just worship me. Jesus said, quoting Deuteronomy chapter Eight, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Satan said, oh, you want to use the Bible? That's fine. I'll use the Bible. Let's go up on the top of the Temple Mount, and I'll, 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 I'll dare you. I bet you won't throw yourself off uh, this Temple Mount and fulfill what it says in the Scriptures, that if he, uh, he can command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. He quoted the book against the one who wrote the book. And Jesus says, we're not having any of that, bro. Once again, he quotes Deuteronomy and he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What a great testament to all of us who follow after Jesus. If If the principles of God's word were good enough for Jesus in his unseen war, it was actually very seen, Uh, They're good enough for us. That's why we tell you to be in life groups and to study the word on your own, to be discipled if you haven't been, to to, to deepen yourself in your understanding of God's word because it's in those times where your peace turns to panic and when your fine evaporates and the ambush comes that you need the truths of God to push you through whatever our adversary throws at you. It's your shield. You believe in what God's word has said. He is for you and not against you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is mighty. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you and I can ask or think. That's what we hold to be true, and that's what will win the day. We put our faith in his principles, and by faith we stand behind the power that only God has. It tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that everyone who has been born of God has overcome the world. Good news, all of you who have followed Jesus by faith. We're overcomers. And he says this, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. And he doesn't say the power of God, although that's certainly 
a part of our victory. He doesn't say, you know, the, the, the sacrifice of Christ, although that certainly uh, ushered in uh, the power of God in our lives and the victory. No, he's, he says, listen, it all hinges on what? Our faith. Our willingness to believe in Jesus the first time and our willingness to believe in Jesus every time we enter into another phase of the unseen war. Like I said before, our faith, there's no power in our faith. The the power resides with the God our faith is in. Our faith simply allows us to rest in God's truth and to be protected by his righteousness, to experience his peace and to unleash uh, his might on our behalf. See, our flesh and our blood can't win the war ever, period. But when we submit by faith to an omnipotent God, then the war is won by him. I remember the story uh, that Jesus told in Matthew 17. Uh, It's late in the story of of he and the disciples' interactions. They've been probably hanging out together for two, three years. And uh, so they've seen lots of things. Uh, they've seen miracle after miracle. They've, they've watched Jesus heal the sick and, and cast out the demons and the demon-possessed. And so they had participated in that. He, he had sent them out two by two with the same powers. He, uh, he invested them in his followers. And, and so they'd experienced those kinds of things. But this one situation came in Matthew 17 where uh, a, a certain demon, demon-possessed boy was was unable to be healed by the disciples. The father of this boy came to Jesus himself and said, listen, I brought this kid to your, to your followers, your, 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 you know, the 12, and, and none of them could cast the demon out. He, he throws my kid in fires and he throws my kid in the lake. Could you please exercise uh, this, this demon from my son? And, and, and Jesus, before he did that, he did. He, he, he healed the boy of his demon possession, but... Before he did that, you know what he said? He said, oh, this faithless and twisted generation. You know what he's speaking about? His buddies, his disciples. Oh, these guys just don't have faith. Or they don't have the kind of faith. A faith in, in my father and his power that overcomes. They must have had a faith in themselves. Maybe they were counting on the fact that they'd exercise other demons to be able to exercise this one. Well, in a quiet moment, the disciples come to Jesus in Matthew 17, and they, they asked him, hey, why could we not cast that demon out? And Jesus said this very famous phrase. He actually said it six or seven times throughout his teachings in the gospel. And uh, Paul picks it up in some of his writings as well, this whole move a mountain thing. Jesus says this, because you, are, uh, you have little faith. Now, he's going to say in a second, if you just have even a little bit, like a mustard seed size, your faith is going to be able to do incredible things. But he says... Here you have little faith. He's talking about you have a poverty of faith. You don't have the right kind of faith. He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, just this little itty bitty bit, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, he, he was speaking a hyperbole. Everybody who's you know, looking for us to move, you know, Mount Rushmore or something like that, settle down. He's speaking hyperbole. In hyperbole, he's, he's basically saying, though, listen, if you just understood for a second that you in and of yourself and, and you and your faith in yourself can do nothing, but if you just have a little bit of faith in the power of God, then nothing is impossible for you. 
Oh, that you and I would understand the power of our faith. There's all kinds of definitions for faith out there. But I think faith involves two important things. It involves our love for God and our trust in God. See, faith is saying that I love God enough to trust him enough to do for me what I can't do for myself. I love God enough, I believe in him and I esteem him and I seek him and I, 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 I look to him and I trust him in the, the unseen war that I'm a part of, this, these, these flare-ups, these ambushes that come my way. I trust him to be my defense, to be my shield and to fight for me where I can't fight for myself. We sang a song about that earlier. Will you stand with me as we sing it now? And may you and I be reminded as we sing of the faithfulness of our God. Let's sing. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet. Lyrics, the song goes on to say, I've seen you move. I've seen you move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. Okay, that's the Christ life. The Christ life is knowing that there's going to be situations where God's going to need to move some mountains because I can't do it on my own. And the Christ life says, I'm going to hold to your truth and let it hold me together. The Christ life says, I will trust in your righteousness and choose right things in those situations. The Christ life says, I will walk in your peace and have it hold me firm in this fight. And the Christ life says, I believe. I believe that you are able and that you have won already. So may God give you the victory in whatever you face. May God hold you up. May you follow him always. Let me pray that for us. God, I stand with your people, aware of your power, asking for your peace, and trusting by faith that you'll defend us. And all that comes our way, we look to you and you alone. Thank you for the victory. I pray it in Jesus' name.